Hi, I'm Gareth Kane. Welcome to the Net Zero Business Podcast. Okay, today I'm talking to Richard Devil, who's the Regional Sustainability Manager for Balfour Beatty. Rich has over 20 years experience in sustainability, from what I see in LinkedIn, almost all of it in the construction industry, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, uh, covering a very wide range of projects from defence, hospitals and um, HS2, the, the high-speed rail project, so a very wide range of, of experience. But Maybe, Rich, I could start with asking how you first became involved in sustainability. So it started off as a little bit of an accident, really. I was doing a course at university around maths, realised that I'm not a computer geek because that's what it pretty much turned into in the first year. And so I transferred over to do environmental engineering because I loved the idea of grey areas. Mm-hmm. In the, in the world of the environment, there is absolute rights and absolute wrongs, but there is a lot of grey in the middle and a lot of area for conversation and discussion and negotiation. And that, to me, was a real draw to it. And then I joined an environmental consultancy, working a lot of the, working a lot of the construction, pre-construction areas. And... I just kind of drifted into this environment, sustainability world through the through through Briam to client requirements. So doing a lot of pre-assessment, pre-application work, and doing some assessments as well. And then um, I joined Wilmot Dixon as a, constru- as a construction company as a sustainability manager, picking up those themes and then expanding on them around materials, ecology, and environmental side that side of things. So yeah, I just kind of drifted into it in a, in a way but then once I found that that that's that's where my interest lie uh, lay it was full full steam ahead so so you know going back to those early jobs how easy was it to get into it as a career obviously you, you chose it as a course and and how has that developed over time in terms of the the roles you might be playing I drifted into it by accident, well, not by accident, by basically <laughs> by being flexible and somebody saying, look, we've got, um, as you have in consultancies, we, but clients have a demand for something and it's like, right, we need somebody to fill that demand. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity of working with some fairly senior people, but they kind of said, right, well, I need somebody to actually do the work under my guidance and help. But so, and I said, well, you know, right, that, that's, that, that sounds good to me. So I, I just said yes and <laughs> took that opportunity, took those opportunities, and learned and learned from it. I mean, I, I've done other bits where I've said yes before, and I've realised, you know what, that's not my, that's not where I want to be, and turned down further opportunities in the area. But the world of sustainability, just it, it because it's so wide and varied, no day is the same. Yeah, it's. There's always opportunities to be doing something. And whilst our goal as a sustainability professional is to make yourself redundant in a way, mm-hmm. because you want what you're doing to become business as usual, there's always something else to move on to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's a everyday school day, isn't it? it is. So coming then up to, to Balfour Beatty, what would you say are the main drivers where's the pressure coming from on Balfour BT to take sustainability seriously 
Well, we've got um, a, a large chunk of our investors. I think last time I last time I looked at the numbers, over twenty percent are signed up to ESG metrics and um, way, ways of judging how they how they they invest in their portfolios. So we've got a push from our investors to do more to keep our ESG ratings. We're on the FTSE for good, and then we also have a client desire. We've got more and more clients that are interested and have policies and requirements around sustainability. So to win the work with those clients and to maintain ourselves on frameworks and everything else, we've got to show that we can meet those standards mm-hmm. efficiently and effectively. So it's we've got a we've got a, both a push from our investors and a pull from our clients to do these things. And we've also got an, a drive within the company around um, bringing on that future talent. And mm. as you've noticed, the, the the best talent is looking at the sustainability crisis, whatever you want to call it, as, and what they want to work for companies that are doing something. Yeah. So we, we see that and we are responding to that. Absolutely. And in terms of customers, is the is that drive coming from any particular sector or is it, a, it evenly applied across the board? There are larger clients, so the major government departments, so National Highways, Environment Agency, uh, Network Rail. Those major players um, are, the HS2s are further ahead, more developed. Mm-hmm. We, we have a, a large strand of work that encompasses local authorities and some are in um, a more educated place than others around this um, mm. and they've all got different priorities you can't expect a local authority based in a city center to have the same priorities as a local authority with a large rural mm-hmm. large rural catchment so we have to work with those around the individual priorities and okay so some, some are in different places some are at different stages on the journey which is all kind of useful uh, and we with something where we're working with clients to help bring everybody up to a par yeah Great, thanks. And what targets have you set? Set, uh, you know, the the top level targets that you would talk about, as opposed to you know getting down into all the fine detail. We have our twenty forty beyond net zero uh, targets, and around the, around carbon, we're looking at uh, no no zero waste to uh, in, by twenty forty, and impacting over a million people. Um, those are our 2040 public targets under our building uh, building new futures plan. Yeah, and we do have some interim steps around uh, SBTI, so science based target initiative by 2030, kind of agreeing what the target is with them, and then um, over three billion pounds of social impact, which we measure via TOMS. So yeah, we're we're looking at we, we've kind of got high high level aspirations, but we're as an international business. We can't get down into the nitty gritty too much because each international area that we operate in has a separate uh, has separate requirements and separate ways of separate speeds of achieving those targets. Right, and you, you said beyond that zero. So, what we're hoping for as Balfour Beatty is that because of our size and our pull within the industry, what we want to do is have um have an impact that goes beyond our own footprint. Yeah. 
So we develop and work with work with clients and suppliers and everything else to develop technologies, materials, ways of working that have an impact that moves beyond just outside of our footprint. So it doesn't become Balfour Beatty. It starts off as Balfour Beatty, but then becomes industry. Right. All right. Thanks. And and obviously, you know, you've set the net zero target, and then below that how to get there you've worked uh you've used science-based targets um was there any particular reason for for choosing science-based targets i think it's it, it's where the industry consensus seems to lie of this is the most efficient and effective way of measuring and monitoring your performance mm-hmm. um because it's based on the science it's based on the science-based targets uh, it's based on this it's based on the science rather than sticking the finger up in the air and hoping for the best yeah i think that that kind of that credibility of a third party looking at our numbers rather than just us self-reporting and saying how great and wonderful we are gives it gives us a more ethical approach to how we do it yeah that sort of third party stamp to say you know it's not just us making a target the reason one of the reasons why i ask is that sometimes you know there's been a bit of a backlash sometimes about against the net zero thing people saying it's greenwash and accusing companies of not publishing what they what their actual carbon reduction targets are underneath so uh i can understand that um and i've seen that i think the advertising standards authority well prosecutions or yeah what what they've been pushing through and the eu have been pushing through mm-hmm. making sure that these claims are legitimate yeah and clear and clarify what they're saying to, to be anti-greenwash. I think that's been, you know, that's been clear and been very helpful in making our case internally for we need to do this the right way. We're the largest contractor in, in UK-based contractor. We're an easy public target to say you're not doing the right thing and we can see it. So mm-hmm. we want to, that's, that's one of the reasons we need to do the right thing. Yeah. Fantastic. So it gives, but it gives the SBT, as I say, seems to yeah. give that sort of credence to, you know, that yes, we have this big, easily digestible net zero target, but here's the, here's the working out underneath yeah. it. Yeah. And, and it's and it's not an easy process. It's not a so it's not a we 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 tell them what we tell them what all of our figures and what we want to do, and they go go away and just say, oh yeah, all right, that sounds good to us. It is a it is a conversation and it is a negotiation back and forth. So. I think that's but that's helped build our faith that it is a credible, you know, third party because it's not because we have worked with other other initiatives in the past where it's just been yeah you you tell us what you're doing that's fine we'll put a rubber stamp on it mm-hmm. you know and uh, and I think that type those days are hopefully coming to an end where as an industry we do that yeah excellent and. So day to day, what are the what are the biggest challenges you face in delivering sustainability? Uh, our big, biggest challenges are there's a wide variety on a on a day to day basis. That cha- it's it's say it's, it's a whole whole new world of it's changing mindsets. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got an industry that has been bought up on cost and program being the two key factors to everything and now we're trying to crowbar in 
carbon or other sustainability factors into there as the, we're not saying that these should drive decisions but they should be part of the decision making process yeah and then data is a big a big issue because we get data back we have a lot of internal data then we've got to try and make sure that it's the right thing in the right context and that it's all pulling together in the same way and direction and we've had industry data for certain sites certain buildings say build the building side of things is very robust industry data around infrastructure and the infrastructure assets isn't in the same place so we've got two different speeds of how the industry is responding and sharing data amongst itself but also people collating data and putting it out there publicly to be used so we've got challenges around that that we're working through mm-hmm. and we're hoping that our processes are something that we can build in something robust and hopefully at the end kind of work collaboratively with our tier one competitors to create a system where when a project is starting we have all kind of agreed that yeah you know that is a legitimate baseline process yeah for being judged against because when we when i see a world in the not too distant future where as a as a contractor we're all being given a scope of works that says you you've got to deliver this but actually when we're um when we're looking at the carbon footprint of, of some works our differentiator isn't really going to be much around the the works themselves it's going our differentiator is going to be how about how we deliver those works yeah how our carbon management process our environmental management process is going to be the different how we differentiate ourselves because everybody's going to be doing the same thing roughly in the same ways so you're going to be not going to be dealing with a lot and then the the final thing for us is just the speed of technology needs to pick up a bit yes <laughs> because we talk about it, these great and wonderful things and how they're going to save hydrogen for example well we need to pick up this pace of green hydrogen and also the technology that surrounds it about transport safe transportation mm-hmm. safe storage and get the the standards out there so that everybody can understand if we work in certain way you know we have a british standard to work to to say if you do it this way it's safe and it's workable yeah well hydrogen seems to be the next big thing for the last 25 years yeah, uh, I, I'm not a cynic to say it'll never happen. I would, I would love to see green hydrogen happen, but uh, I, 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 I struggle to keep faith with it because it's been, it has been hyped so many times and then fallen away. It's, it's. I, th- I think every every time it's been hyped, it's kind of made a step. And I think recent history of seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing more of a step. And batteries, electric, electric only takes certain. We, we I saw some work by a plant manufacturer, saw some workings out, and basically, if they wanted to do a heavy excavator in a battery-only scenario that had a had the capacity to work over the do to, to do a day's work before charging, 
the cost of the machine would be probably around 100,000, as an example, and the cost of the battery would be somewhere around 300,000. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. it would be huge. Yeah. So they were, so when we, when you, it's scale, a certain scale batteries work. As soon as you start pushing the scales, it's like, no, we need to, unless you're going to leave it plugged into the mains, we need to, we need to find that next thing. Yeah. That's well. Fingers crossed somebody will. Yeah. Well, as sometimes I think, you know, somebody needs to find a niche where it, and, and make it work in that niche. And then it can expand outwards rather than we, we it seems to be always presented as a solution, you know, to home heating and <laughs> private cars and, you know, heavy heavy goods vehicles and everything else so i think they need to make one thing work and then we might make progress yeah i've seen i've seen it working with buses in birmingham which which say not too far away from me and yeah, that that was that was interesting to basically it's like a filling station uh just a yeah. bit more concrete around it and i'd, I'd say uh, it's moved on, but yeah, the speed of progress is kind of like we'll just just yeah. can we go a little bit quicker? Yeah, so sorry, that's a bit of a hobby horse of mine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so in terms of you know from anywhere, whether it's Balfour BT or one of your other roles, what's what would you say your your proudest achievement is? What uh, if you were going to stand up and you know and, and present? your life's work, what would be the, the number one project that you would? I'd say, I'd say when I was working on HS2, I was responsible for two stations, uh, the, for mainly responsible for the two stations um, and the design stage and the early planning for uh, in the north. Well, say at that time, well, actually, we'll, we'll be the north of HS2 um, in Birmingham and the one in Solihull. And those stations, both at design, had credible routes to 50% carbon saving against base against the baseline. Mm-hmm. And both of them had Bram outstanding design stage. Yeah. One, one was certified, one had submitted when I left. So uh, given that I got told that I would never get Bram even very good, you know, so, so, well, you know, the, you say excellent, but we, we, you know, it's, it's an aspiration. And through working with the design teams and the project teams, we got there through not spending additional money, but through good design, through working with the standard and also just having a group of people that are willing to collaborate and work on this and recognize that it is achievable. Yes. I think we've mentioned Briam a couple of times, perhaps in case anybody's watching this who's doesn't know, I suspect most people would do it's the, the UK's standard green building assessment process, just um set up by the building research establishment is the, the Bri in Briam. Are there anything well then moving forward to the uh, current day with Balfour Beatty, what's your what what are you most proud of in that work? The I think it's the, the changing mindset. We've we've had a business that uh, had to focus on cost in its past, in its recent past, um, and the post-Carillion days kind of gave everybody a um, the financial elements of the construction industry. So say we were working on a two percent margin as a bit as a, as an industry average, 
that kind of that mindset was very prevalent and over the course of my time there i'm seeing a lot of change around that mindset and the, the growth of the importance around sustainability and as well as uh diversity and inclusion and other things you know we're, we're moving we're evolving away from a money is the most important thing it, there is a, still a keen eye on that because we you know we're still seeing near competitors and competitors going uh, going under and in financial trouble so there still has to be a sharp eye on that but the conversations are expanding yeah and that that to me and the sustainability team is growing in its own right we were part of we were a member of another function we've now moved out of that function and becoming a team in our own right with our own leader um who sits at the tie table to champion our cause and to yeah. be to be our to, to to be our focus point and that i think has been helping that and growing it has been really good kind of experience and nice do you have anything tricks of the trade you could share in terms of getting that conversation away from purely cost focus and getting those other factors in i, I think it's it's helping to rec- get, make people talking to people in their own language and uh, say not say the, the green jiu-jitsu approach and say <laughs> i do i do borrow that <laughs> talking to people in their own language yeah is um a key thing talking about risks widening their horizons to you know, well what you're interested in program well if we don't do this we're going to have a problem we're going to have a congestion here around mm-hmm. the program and so, and kind of making the conversations more holistic rather than just focus on money and yeah. there are still some people who come back to that as a yeah, but it's going to cost us money. So, yeah, but the opportunities, the benefits are here. The risks are here. So we need to find that space where there's a balance, not just about one thing taking priority over everything else regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And if you could go back to in time to talk to yourself in your early career or talk to somebody who was coming into sustainability now, one of these new recruits you're talking about, what would your your advice be to them um try try everything once um have, have a go at everything don't unless you really are keenly focused on something on an area try not to specialize too early yeah i can see people being driven into when i i i grew up inside consultancy and inside construction when we were generalists you didn't really focus your career until you know until you're seven eight years in i'm seeing people now who've got four or five years of experience in a particular niche mm-hmm. and i've i've already seen the people who've focused on a niche and then that niche has disappeared yeah absolutely and i can i say look, look you've got to get a good range of skills and background experience find where you want to be there is a space for everybody mm-hmm. in sustainability and find out where you want to be and then kind of focus there. Is, is there anything you'd want to add? Any- the 80-20 rule is is, uh, is something I still use a lot of because we still, there's still so many people focusing on the details. Yeah. You think you're missing a, the 
the big chunk still isn't clarified with why are we focusing on that 10% when 80% is still hanging out there. And so actually, uh, the final point I always thought about with um, with carbon stuff is buzzword bingo and terminology and right. terminology mix-ups. We get so many people using the phrase net zero. I, I, I had a, pro, um, a client talk, ask us about, right, we want to build do a net zero project. Mm. Brilliant. When you say net zero, what do you mean? Mm. Because they meant net zero in operation. Yeah. But when you say you've got to say that in operation, you've got to use that terminology to clar- and clarify what what it means to each of you so you're both aligned because we've had that divergence happen a few times. So that just leaves me to thank you, Rich, for those great insights. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a very good conversation. Thank you. If you found this episode of the podcast interesting, please do me two wee favours. First of all, give it a five-star rating to help others find it as well. And secondly, subscribe via your usual podcast provider so you'll get every episode into the future. <music>